Do you ever have this happen? You're sitting with your spouse in the evening if you're married, and you're having a conversation together. And at my house, a lot of times it's about this. Well, what are we going to watch? What's going to be on the TV? Who's going to decide what we're going to watch? Now, if it's up to me, I like to watch some situation comedies. I like to watch sports. I might want to watch a news show. My wife, it's going to be something different that she wants. And so we sometimes have these different opinions about what we want to watch. Well, the other night she, she said, hey, I know what we'll watch. We'll watch this show. Uh, it's about catfish. Well, I'm thinking like, okay, catfish are people out in the river, that kind of thing. And so I start watching this show. And I get about halfway through the show and I figure out this is not about fish at all. It's about people who get duped by someone. And then I realize, oh my goodness, I just got duped by someone. <laughs> my wife duped me into watching this show. But the crazy thing was, I was already hooked, and so I had to watch it to the end. Like this, in this story, it sounded like somebody had, they had a, uh, a relationship online with someone, and, and it started to seem like it was fake. And, uh, and so I, I had to see if it really was, and it, it turned out that particular episode, I, I guess this is unique, it wasn't fake, it was just someone who was really socially awkward. But it got me thinking about this idea of, of when we get involved in something and we, we think it's going to be one thing, but it turns out to be something different. When it comes to churches through the years, a lot of people, I think, have felt this about a church. They go into a church thinking it's going to be one kind of a church, and then they find out it's something different, and they get frustrated. That happens here. That happens at churches all across the country. Because people have different ideas of what a church should be. In fact, as we go into this brand new preaching series on the purpose of the church, or the church on purpose is a better way of saying it, we're going to look at some different purposes that God set up for the church. But what happens is that churches tend to, just like people, they tend to be better at one of these things than the other. And so there are some churches that, that they would consider their primary focus, and they're the kind of church that the most important thing for them is fellowship. This is a church, it's a relational church. Uh, they would be known, you would know it was a, a fellowship church by these kinds of things, right? They would have long meet and greet times. That would be a big part of their service. They would have lots of time before and after the service for people to spend time together. Uh, they would frequently have family reunions, potluck dinners. A small groups would be a big part of the relational and fellowship church. Uh, lots of time together. You'd hear words like, we are the body, a lot. There'd be a lot of talk about, about closeness and what a friendly church we are. Those would all be hallmarks of a church that had a primary focus of fellowship. Nothing wrong with fellowship. We're, we should be a, a church of fellowship. But there are churches, that's their primary focus. Uh, there's another kind of a, a focus that churches have sometimes, and that's the discipleship focus. They really hone in on Jesus' words, make disciples. Uh, this would kind of be a covenantal kind of a church. They would have a lot of, of emphasis on education, seminars, a, a discipleship groups would be a big thing. Bible reading plans would be a part of that congregation. In the discipleship church, there would be a, uh, long sermons and short worship services. They might give memory verses out. Uh, there would be lots of talk of maturity. You want to be mature Christians, and that's a sign that you're in a church that has a focus of discipleship, that that's what is most important. Now, there are a lot of other kinds of churches. There are churches today that they really are a worship-focused church. Uh, they are very big on, on things that have to do with worship. They're very experiential. 
You would see that they have lots of emphasis about their music teams, their choir, their dance, doing solos, holding concerts. They would have long worship services and short sermons. Because worship is the thing that matters the most. A key thing you would hear talk of is, we really felt God's presence today. That would be an emphasis of a a, a church that has a focus of worship. Now there are some other churches, they would say that their focus is about service or ministry to people, and and that they're the kind of church that wants to live out that Matthew 25, right, meeting the needs of the the sick and the, the people who are kind of... Uh, well, it might be called a social justice church, the oppressed, people who are in need. There'd be a lot of talk about feeding ministries and missions trips, benevolence, social action. A lot of the conversation there would be about needs that we've met and needs that we need to meet. This would be a a very ministry service-focused congregation. And of course, there is that congregation that is very evangelistically focused. Uh, Their focus is on uh, meeting and, reach, and reaching the lost. I mean, their primary focus, they would have what they call seeker services at church. They're aimed at reaching lost people. And that's their primary goal. Outreach events, uh, marketing, evangelism training, friend days, those would all be important measures. And there would be conversation about the number of, of souls saved or the number of people who came to faith. That would be an important focus. So which of those focuses is right? Which is the right foci to have? What's the right thing to be focused in on? When you hear that, each of you might have gravitated, thought, oh, I want like a church like that. That's really me, because we have a tendency towards different, different parts of the faith and what matters most. One of the challenges that we have at Ogleville is we think all those things are important. And so we're trying to be a church that has fellowship, that has discipleship, that has worship, that has service and ministry, that has evangelism. We're trying to encompass encompass all of those things. And that's a hard task to accomplish. And I don't think that we do those all equally well all the time. But we're working towards those kinds of a goal. As we think about that, And we ask ourselves this question, what is the purpose of the church? These are the kinds of things we want to think about, right? And Paul gives us kind of our guide. I become all things to all people that I can win some. So that's part of what informs us as a church. We want to try to reach these different parts that are all part of the calling of the faith to reach people with the good news of Christ. Now, We're going to look at each of those in more depth because they're all important. And today I want us to focus this time, this morning, on one of those aspects, the aspect of the worshiping church. They're all important, but today I want to start with the worshiping church. So as we think about the worshiping church, let me make this first statement about worship. Worship is for people who believe in Jesus, It's not that a non-believer can't enjoy a worship service or even be moved by it, but if you think about what worship really is, worship is about people who believe in God, who are followers of God, who want to praise God. They want to share their love for God. And we do that, we share that love for God in a lot of ways that that are all parts of worship. It's more than just singing, right? Worship happens when we pray. It happens in the praying, in the singing, for sure, in the giving, It happens in the reading of his word. It happens in thanksgiving as we share. And it happens, of course, in communion. 
The key aspect of worship is it's for believers, and when we gather together and we're engaged in those things, it's important that we remember our focus is not on ourselves, but the focus has to be on God. Even in communion, which is definitely the pinnacle of worship, even in communion where we're told to examine ourselves, we examine ourselves against the mirror or the perfect of Jesus. We examine ourselves against him, so even then he is still our focus. Even when we examine ourselves, it is to examine ourselves against God's word and God's example, God's holiness. That's the standard by which we measure ourselves. Having said that, let me say that if our focus is a skew of that, then we have a problem. When our focus becomes more about who is it that's up here that's speaking than what's being said, we've lost our focus, we've lost our sense of what worship is about. Because the point of worship is to focus not on the person, but on God. Or in our movements across the country in churches, there was this huge struggle around what kind of worship is right. What kind of music is right? Should we have new songs or old songs or what should we sing? And the worship wars came out. It was crazy. In part, it was crazy because people lost their focus. We're told that we should have a focus that is first and foremost on Jesus when we worship. And because that's our focus, listen, you can go into a service and the music can be twanging. It can sound like it belongs at a honky-tonk and not a church. But if we're worshiping God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul, it can be a positive and powerful worship service. At the same time, you can come into a worship service and it can be everything you want it to be. The music's exactly your preference. But if, if your heart and your mind and your body and your spirit's not in the right place before God, it's, it's not real worship. It's not real worship. The Hebrew writer talks about this focus. Now this Hebrews chapter 12 passage I want to read to you it comes after the great passage of Hebrews 11. We don't have time to go into that today. It's a whole other sermon. But Hebrews 11 is a long list of the heroes of the Bible, people who really got it right. And it's a tremendous passage. You should read it. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. There are, are all kinds of things you can take away from Hebrews 11. But the author of Hebrews wants us to get this. He says, well, what should we take away from that? What should we learn about the people who were faithful? And here's what he says about it. He says in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all those people who got it right, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run, let us run with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If we're going to do our great thing, we have to get our focus right Focus matters. Jesus got into conversation about this one time. I'm not going to go into this other story either in great depth, but it's one you know. It's from John chapter 4. It's sometimes called the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman, and I don't want to get into that whole part of the story. I just want to capture a little snippet of their conversation because Jesus actually reveals something about worship that's profound and powerful in their conversation. He's talking with the Samaritan woman and John 4, verse 19, she says this. 
She's talking to Jesus. She says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus goes a little farther, though, and he says this in verse 22. He says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation's from the Jews, yet a time is coming. In fact, it has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. What are the requirements of worship? It's one is that we come and we worship in spirit, and we worship in truth, with integrity and transparency and honesty before the Lord. Style is not what's in the passage. He doesn't say it's important you always play a, a tambourine or a timbrel or a stringed instrument or whatever. He doesn't say that. The style of worship is not, not ever spoken about. What's talked about is, is the heart and the spirit and the mind and the truth of the worshiper. He says that's what God is looking for. It's, it's not about preferences. It's not about style. It's about sincerity. It's coming to worship and saying, okay, Jesus, yeah, there's a lot of things my mind could be on today. It could be focused on the ball game after church. It could be focused on the meeting I have tomorrow at work. It could be focused on the fight I had with my wife this morning. It could be focused on all kinds. Of, I didn't really have a fight this morning. Whatever you want to say, but it could be focused on anything. But the truth, right? The focus needs to be on God. It needs to be on him. It's, it's, it's what we read about in Mark 12. The conversation Jesus has with the teacher of the law about what matters most. Listen again to this, these words from Mark chapter 12, beginning verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came. He heard them debating, and he, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered him, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. God wants me to worship him with, my, with all of my heart, with all of my emotion. With all of my soul, with all of my spirit, with all of my mind and my mental ability, and with all of my strength, with my physical presence, whether I stand or I raise my hands or I clap, he wants me to worship him embodied, with embodied worship, enlivened worship. Friends, worship is a powerful, powerful thing. It's a gift that we have that we offer to God but God does something to us in worship as well. I want to close with a passage from the Old Testament this morning, and I want us to think about one last story that describes worship. It's a powerful story, and it's a story from the prophet Isaiah. And I want, to, I want us to kind of highlight some things that happen in this experience of worship that Isaiah describes. 
Isaiah is writing, and in chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I was focused on the Lord. He was high and exalted. He was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We talked about this last week in the Ezekiel passage, the throne of God. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. And they were shouting this out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want you to get this, that Isaiah is describing being in the presence of God. And when we come to worship, we have an opportunity to step into the presence of God in just as real a way as Isaiah experienced that presence. It's an invitation to come into the presence of God. Not only can we feel and experience his presence, and he does tell us that when we gather together, he's among us, but we can also experience and worship the power of God. Listen to what happens in verse 4. At the sound of their voices, as they were praising the Lord, it says the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. It's a callback to when God first embodied the temple. There was so much smoke, we read, that when he entered the temple the very first time, the Levites couldn't do their jobs. Like God's presence was there, and the reason for the smoke was a so that they could physically see with their eyes God was there. And they were overwhelmed. All they could see, if you think of it this way, was God. That's all they could see. And that was an incredible moment. And Isaiah says as he's in this place, as he's in the presence of God, as he feels God's power in that place, the place is shaken. That happened again in the New Testament, remember? When the believers gathered together to pray, they prayed with such earnestness that the ground shook beneath their feet. And maybe it's time for some earth-shaking prayers to go up from the church again. Worship brings us into God's presence. It brings us into God's connection with God's power. But when we're in the presence of God, there's something that can happen that's quite terrifying. The more we recognize who God is, that God is holy, that God is powerful, we will naturally find ourselves oftentimes afraid. I mean, think about all the characters that see God in one fashion or another. They're terrified in his presence. And Moses is afraid when he goes before the Lord and hears God speaking in the bush. Peter, when he realizes he's in the presence of Jesus, he falls down the ground. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Yeah, when we see ourselves against the perfect we quickly see our imperfections. There's holiness in God, and, well, there's a lot of unholiness in us. What does light have to do with darkness? And so we realize that. And that happened to Isaiah. Listen to what it says in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. His sin is there. 
One of the reasons sometimes we're afraid to enter into meaningful worship is we actually are afraid God might show up in that space. <laughs> and if he does, he might reveal something to us we don't want to see. One of the seraphim, one of the angels, then flew to Isaiah, says he flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Friends, true worship doesn't just reveal God's presence and God's power. It reveals God's pardon. It reveals God's pardon for our sins. Isaiah was, he was overwhelmed, but then he, he received forgiveness. He, he was made clean. His guilt was, was, was removed. His shame was removed. His sin was atoned for. I want us to have times of worship where you experience God's presence, his power, but you also know his pardon. Now, when you know that, when you've seen that, when you've experienced that, what happens next for Isaiah is tremendous. Because once we get through those things, then we become very useful to God. And this is what happens next in the story. After he's been pardoned, it says, Then I heard the Lord speak. I heard the Lord say, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And this had to have even surprised Isaiah himself. He stands up and he says, Well, here I am. <laughs> send me. You've forgiven my sins. You've taken away my guilt. I'll go and be your witness. I'll go and be the one who speaks for you. And true worship at its heart will reveal the purpose that God has for us. His plans will be revealed through worship. Amen. And they were revealed for Isaiah. You know, each week we come to our worship services, and at the end of our service we give an invitation. It's an invitation for people to come forward and to give their life to Jesus, to make a decision for Christ. And, and that opportunity is certainly available today. If after this service is over, you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to make a confession of faith, you want to be baptized, please, by all means, please, talk to me about that today. I'll stay inside. I'm not going to go out. I'll stay up here at front. Just come up and talk to me and say, hey, I want to make a decision. But in this room, well over 90% of us are believers. We're Christ followers. We're a part of the church. And today I think the more appropriate way to end a sermon on worship is for us to worship together. So our invitation song and a couple that will follow will just be about worshiping the Lord this morning. And we're going to stand together. I'm going to stand among you in the midst. And let's just, with our whole heart, with all of our mind, all of our strength, uh, all of our heart and our spirit, let's worship the Lord together. Can we do that? Let's stand together.